All right, well, welcome again. We are in week two of our stories in stained glass. And this was a very interesting week, studying the stained glass. You'd think it's just a window. <laughs> You'd be wrong. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on with this, uh, which I'm, I'm excited. The history nerd in me uh, got, got to work this week. Uh, so uh, what we've been doing last week, uh, Paul, one of our elders, he looked at this back window, looking at uh, Scripture as the highest authority, uh, looking at the cross and the crown. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to be focusing on this middle one uh, right over here. And I've got some pictures of it, so we can, we can look at that. Um, and so the, the title, though, if, if you look at that, that, that image, so the title of this week's sermon is going to be Love your neighbor as yourself, which is uh, interesting. Because you might think, how in the world do you get love your neighbor as yourself? I see a picture of some wheat. Uh, there's a word underneath um, one of these. It says gleanings. One says offering. Uh, if you can't see it, I'll have it up on the screen in just a second. But um, again, we were given this book last week, uh, Church in Lower Town, the First Baptist Church of St. Paul. Uh, the congregation is kind of the first half of the book, 1849 which is when the church started to uh, 1974, which is when this was published. Then the building from 1875, which was when they made this sanctuary, um, and then till, till 75, present at that time. And all it is is just a bunch of newspaper clippings. It's just, a, it's just full of newspaper clippings. It's all it is. Uh, and pictures. Um, it's, it's really fascinating, the history of, of the church. I, I enjoy history. Um, I enjoy learning about history. Uh, but something, something came up with, with this. And so, uh, as you can see on, on this one, so in the book, they actually have these, all these images at the top of these. We'll talk about these two that don't have images. They were added later. Uh, we'll talk about them at a later date. Um, but they have all these images named. And so it's actually the, the Sith says the rewards of labor uh, is kind of what the title, what the name of that is. And so it's got this idea, again, of gleanings, it's uh, of offering. And so rather than focusing on, on giving, as far as giving to the church, hey, how can, how can we've got to raise this much money and we're going to put up a thermometer up here and if much, much money comes in, we're going to keep track of all that. That might come day, that might come someday, uh, but uh, not right now. So rather focusing on giving as far as to the church, I want to focus on giving to others. And I think that when I got to really dig into the history of this window, it became apparent that that's really what this is, that the gleanings and the offerings are not about me. It's not even about our church. It's about loving our neighbors as ourselves. There's a lot of history here. So this is, this is cool. This was a, a clipping in the book. There's a group here of, I don't know, 20 young women, and they're holding a little flag that says gleaners. And this picture was taken approximately around 1910. And what these women did, and this took a little research, it's not in the book, is they would raise money uh, by selling what they called fancy articles. <laughs> I had to Google what that meant. I thought it was like, I don't know, they used big fancy words in like a newspaper article. That's what I thought it meant. Um, that is not what it means. Uh, it means like little trinkets. They sold fancy things to people who are well off to raise money for people who were not well off. Um, and so, uh, and it was started by a woman who we're going to look at in a second here. Her name was Mrs. Mary Burbank. And she started this 
pretty early on, right when the church was started, or at least in this building in the, in the 1870s, and they purchased that window. So the gleaners raised enough money and they purchased that window in dedication to this idea of giving to the poor, of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so if you look closely, unfortunately it was cracked and repaired and someone else just a couple weeks ago threw a rock through that window, so that's gotta be repaired. First Baptist does have stained glass window insurance, which I didn't know that was a thing, but I'm glad they do. Uh, but you can see this crack and this is supposed to be representative of Ruth. And so we are gonna spend some time looking at Ruth and Leviticus and Luke, um, but I'm gonna read a lot from Ruth today. But what's interesting is that image there of Ruth, the woman who actually modeled for this picture was indeed, in fact, herself, Mrs. Mary Burbank. And she was uh, a part of this congregation. Uh, it's a terrible headline, uh, long life ended for Mary Burbank. Uh, that's a really bad way to say a woman died of old age at 90 years old. Uh, it just sounds way more interesting and it's not. Uh, but she was a, uh, a missionary. She was in the area and she worked with First Baptist and she worked with Harriet Bishop who started this church in 1849. And it started as this idea to educate, educate people that this is where the idea of Sunday school came from. That children, if they were able to afford it, went to school if they weren't working somewhere, they would go to school at least one day a week and they would educate people how to read and all these different things. And even Harriet Bishop, you can go out in the lobby and find how she uh, worked with uh, locals and Native Americans and, and all these different aspects, but a big part of it. And so she went north in Northern Minnesota and tried to do the exact same thing, uh, which is exactly how First Baptist, this church started. Now, this is kind of interesting because uh, Nolan, guys, I know most of you know Nolan, he wrote a, an individual study. Is that what it's called? Individual study something? Um, and it's about 30, 35 pages. And it's on uh, specifically uh, how the United States dealt with and inappropriately handled the indigenous people and the Native Americans, specifically uh, from a, a Christian perspective. What was the church's role? And this, very few people are good examples, unfortunately. Um, a lot of negative, but one of the ways, because they had this phrase that the United States, this, now wasn't the United States back then, just the new world, that they viewed it as God's promised land. And they viewed this earth and this, this, this new, new world as the promised land. And if you think of Israel, that they were commanded to go into the promised land and what were they to do? They were to annihilate the inhabitants. Right, they were to do that. And so you can imagine if you come to this space and you go, oh, this is the new world. This is new. This is God's promised land. It gives us freedom of religion. And if they don't buy into it, if they don't become part of our camp, then they're outside of the camp and they, we need to dispose of them. Now, that doesn't seem to be what Harriet Bishop's plan was. It doesn't seem to be what uh, Mary Burbank's plan was. But it seems like they genuinely cared for people. Uh, you can read a lot about Harriet Bishop. But what's interesting about Mary Burbank and why I bring this up is that she was, uh, she, when she came here, she married the first sheriff of Ramsey County. His name was Lull, L-U-L-L. And this individual uh, took uh, part, was a huge factor in the uh, public ex execution of a Native American named Yuhazee. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right. Y-U-H-A-Z-E-E. -E in 1856, she was married to this man. Shortly after that, she divorced him 
1856, and she took back her maiden name, which just doesn't happen. Now, I'm not condoning divorce. I don't know why she divorced him, but it seems to be she was a God-fearing woman and said, this is not okay. I don't know. I could be wrong, but that's what it seems like. She had such a heart for people and for the community. And I found this uh, interesting book called Pen Pictures. Everything just kind of just got me down this, this rabbit hole. And this, this guy, um, what's his name? Newsom, I think is his name. It's really hard to read. T.M. Newsom. This, this book is about a thousand pages long plus, And they're just biographical sketches of old settlers within St. Paul from 1839 to 1858. And he just interviewed people. And he just told stories about every single, it seems like, man and some women and and, and major events that took place in St. Paul. I'm not going to read the whole chunk or chapter that he writes on this execution, but I do want to say this. And he does not have very nice things to say about Sheriff Lull. But he says this which is just interesting, and I'll, and I'll explain why I'm, I'm, I'm even reading this. So Newsom says this, To my personal knowledge, six or eight murders had escaped punishment in the then territory of Minnesota before this poor, friendless Indian was immediately seized, tied, convicted, and sentenced to death in five days, and then treated in a brutal manner up into and including his death. The scene on St. Anthony Hill, where the execution took place, was simply disgraceful to civilization. His death on a cold and windy day, he, he shadily dressed and vulgar and obscene remarks were made when he was ushered into eternity. I denounced the proceedings then and I denounce them stronger terms now. It is a sad commentary upon so-called justice when one can count up not less than 20 murders in the past 30 years which have been committed in this city. And a hooting mob followed the poor creature to only two of the offenders that suffered the penalty of death, one a woman, Mrs. Belinsky, and the other an Indian, Yahuzi. While I admit that the Indian was no but no doubt guilty of the crimes charged, yet I cannot help but mark the alacrity and the manner in which he was punished, while many white murderers were permitted to escape without even a serious effort to arrest them. I want to talk about justice. I want to talk about loving our neighbors as ourselves. And I don't bring up this, I don't read this story just because history fascinates me. But I think this story is deeply tied in with that image of loving our neighbors as ourselves. That the woman who's even pictured there as Ruth was part of this story. I bring this up because Mary Burbank, again, a.k.a. Ruth model, (laughs) loved others. She raised money. She brought awareness to the community. So, that being said, how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? If you've been around Lower Town for a while, I've brought this up before, but I want to I do this again and kind of walk through this. I've, I've mentioned this idea of Scott Duvall has a book written called Grasping God's Word. And he has this image. It's, 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 a, it's a really thick kind of textbook. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the book. Okay, You don't need to read the book. I'm going to give you the whole book right here in this image. And I couldn't figure out graphics, so as this, it's going to just scoot over <laughs> the image. I uh, couldn't figure out how to black things out, so it's just going to scooch its way over so we can see more. But this is called the, just the five steps of how to, read the, how to read God's Word. And the first step is called grasping the text in their town. If you read a passage, 
And you automatically go, hmm, what does this mean to me? You know what really speaks to me about this passage? We're most likely committing the, the error of eisegesis, which is reading our context into the text. That's not okay. We got to do exegesis. We got to take the text from their town and pull it out from their context and say, okay, now what does that mean to me in my context? We cannot force what we want into a text. So we grasp the text. And so kind of part two of that is this idea is we got to gauge the width of the river. What is the culture like? What is the language like? What time is it? What, what century are we in? What millennium are we, are we in? Uh, what kind of government is established right now? All these different contexts. What, what covenant are we in as far as scripture is concerned? We've got to gauge the width of the river, but we've got to grasp the text in their town. And so wrapped up in this image of loving our neighbor as ourselves, I want to look at Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. And again, if you're a new believer, you might, maybe you go and you start reading Genesis. You got all these really cool stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and creation and Noah and all these different things. And you get to Exodus and you see about Moses and the plagues and crossing the Red Sea and entering the promised land and wandering the wilderness and all these different aspects. They're really exciting narratives. And then you get to Leviticus. And Leviticus is just law after law after law. It's written to the Levites to the Levites, to the people who are going to be the priests, the ones in charge of the law, Leviticus, that's why it's called that. And you get to Leviticus and you're going, uh, yeah, I don't know about this book thing. I don't know about reading the Bible thing. This doesn't make any sense. Like don't, don't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I'm confused. But Leviticus 19, you get here and you, you, maybe there's people in here, maybe there's people listed online that say, the God of the Old Testament was a revengeful, wrathful, evil God. That he was just blood drunk and he just wanted to kill everybody that wasn't an Israelite. Read it. Read the law. And you will see how the Israelites didn't obey these laws. You will see compassion, not just to Israelites, but to everyone, all nations. So Leviticus 19, 9 through 17, again, in connection with the stained glass of of Ruth. Here's what it says, starting to verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Okay, this is where that the gleaners and gleaning comes from. What's happening here, right? So you've got a field, and what the law is saying, you take your scythe, you, you cut your grass, you cut your wheat, But you don't go all the way to the edge. You leave some of the edge. Why? That's where the roads are. That's where people are passing by. That's where wanderers, sojourners, exiles, aliens, foreigners are walking on the road, and they can grab some wheat and grab some grain, pick off the chaff, and they can have a little bit of a snack and a meal while they're walking. This is the care for people that are not our own. That's what the whole point of this law is. Now, what did the law mean in their town? Right? If we go back, what did it mean in their town? How, how, would, how should an Israelite interpret this passage? They should interpret it, if I own a field, don't harvest all of it, leave some of it for people who are passing by. You understand? That's what it meant. It doesn't mean anything else. That's some weird spiritual extra thing. It's care for your neighbor, care for those who are in need, care for the wanderer, those who are sojourning. Verse 10, you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord 
your God. Continuing on, just this, this passage is going to keep going about how to care for others. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. This is not the Ten Commandments. That comes later. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by, the name, by, by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. That, that one just means if you hire someone and say, hey, I'm going to pay you for the day, and they come when the sun goes down, don't go, oh, no, no. See, uh, I got you. I said I was going to pay you for the day. Day's not over yet. Right, their, their morning, their day went from sunrise to sunrise, okay, rather than 12 a.m. like we do. So saying, oh, no, no, you got you to work all night. This is peating, treating people unjustly for their work. You should not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Right? As if I'm in the courtroom, it's saying, I'm not going to just be partial to the poor. Hey, you don't have any money. Therefore, I'm going to do this thing for you. Uh, forget about this guy. No, justice. Or defer to the great. Oh, yeah, this guy is worthless. Let's just give it, let's just keep going. But in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as, and slander another your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall, here it is, drum roll, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's where it comes from. So if you're familiar with the New Testament or not, that's okay. You've probably heard the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. This is where it comes from. Leviticus 19. So that's that passage, which is interesting. If you go back, I'm not going to go back, but just, I just kind of circled in my notes the words of the descriptors of people, the poor, the sojourner, one another, neighbor, hired worker, deaf, blind, poor, great, neighbor, neighbor, brother, neighbor, neighbor. Trying to make a point here. Yahweh is God of caring for those around us. So now we are going to move on to the gleaners. Skipping forward, I'm going to skip number three on this list. So grasp the text in your town, gauge the width of your river. I'm going to, I'm going to skip over number three there, that principalizing bridge. I'm going to come back to that. But number four is consult the biblical roadmap. This is, is there anywhere else in Scripture where that verse was applied? Do we see anything else in Scripture about gleaning or caring for the poor or not harvesting to the edge of your field? And this is where we go to Ruth. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to read. I say that. I'm going to try my best not to do a whole lot of commentary. But we're going to consult the biblical roadmap right here. Um, and, and one thing about consulting the biblical roadmap, I'll say this. You go, man, I don't, I, so I'm reading Leviticus and I see that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not like super familiar. I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't know where in the world is connected all throughout scripture. Um, that's why Google was invented, right? Seriously. Just, I mean, seriously, that's what I do. I do, right? I just like, oh, where's that, what's that one verse? I remember like two words of it, Google. Oh yeah, there it is, okay? That's what it's for. Google was invented for preachers. I'm just telling you right now. They emailed me. That's what they said. Anyways, you can do the same thing. Click on the little button. It takes you to all the different places that it's used. 
Let me read this. In the days when the judges, I'll stop there. <laughs> In the days when the judges ruled, who are the judges? Just context. There were 12 judges. There was this cyclical pattern of, of, of repentance falling away and a judge would come and, and judge Israel and nations around it. And then there'd be repentance. And this just kept happening over and over and over 12 different times. So these judges, think Gideon and Samson. Those names might ring a bell, they might not. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and he and his wife and his two sons, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Molhon and Chilon, Chilon with Chilon, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. Again, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. But Bethlehem, oh, that sounds familiar. Judah, that sounds familiar. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, right? There's a famine. Why? Because Israel wasn't obeying. God was punishing and they moved. They were refugees into Moab, a wicked nation. I mean, wicked. They worshiped a God named Molech uh, and, and Chemosh, which is the same God where it was just child sacrifice. That's what it was. It was wicked, 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 wicked. That's where they went as Israelites of the true God. They go and they live there. And they're in Moab and they took Moabite wives and the name of the one was Orpha and the one and the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years and both Melon and Chilon died so that the, women, the woman, that's Naomi, was left without, without her two sons and her husband. So there's a scene that happens where Naomi says, hey, uh, Orpha and Ruth, go back home. Go back to Moab, stay here. I'm going back to my, my land, my home people. Orpha leaves. She stays in Moab. She goes back to her old gods. Ruth stays, though. Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with Naomi. I'm going to stay with my mother-in-law, and I want to keep worshiping this God, the God of Israel. So it says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field of the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So what's interesting is later on, Boaz is going to use this title of he is a redeemer from Bethlehem. And that should, that should make our ears itch a little bit. We should go, oh man, Bethlehem and a redeemer coming from Bethlehem. So we're going to do a little inception. Okay. We're going to do a little bit of like, okay, we're, we went one layer deep in the sense of consulting the biblical roadmap. But now we're here and we're going to consult the biblical roadmap again. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. There's that name Judah again. And his brothers, kings, came from the tribe of Judah. They had to be a descendant of Judah to be a king of Israel. And Judah, the father of Perez and Terah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, or Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, the harlot. So Boaz is born by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. So spoiler alert, right? we're going to go back to that story, but Boaz ends up marrying Ruth and they have a child named Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse and Jesse is the father of David the king. 
So Ruth, this image, she's the great-grandmother of King David. That's this inception. There's, there's words being said here that we can consult the biblical roadmap, going back to that passage. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, Lord, bless you. And Boaz said to, to, the, to his young man, who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Speaking of, of Ruth. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman. She came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Ruth said to me, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. So now Boaz is talking to Ruth. Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean from another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels that, that, that drink what the young men have drawn and see. And, and she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? What is Boaz doing? He is directly applying Leviticus chapter 19, maybe because he loves God, maybe because he's infatuated with Ruth. We don't know, but either way it works out. He's obeying the law. He's helping, he's letting the foreigner and people glean. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, which is his brother, sorry, his nephew would have been, has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people you did not know before. Again, that right there just screams Abraham. He left his family, he left his nation, he left, he left everything behind and followed God. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then he said, I have found, then she said, excuse me, Ruth said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly by your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And she sat uh, beside the reapers. And as he passed to her the roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed the young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Everyone remember the song, Bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. There will be rejoicing, bringing. You guys make me feel like I had a weird childhood. I'm, just, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I love my childhood. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I said I love my childhood. You know that song. All right. Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her to leave. So we're, we're saying, we're not even just going to let her. So what are gleanings? Gleanings, again, they would chop. And if, they, if one, of the, one or two things of straw or hay fell on the ground, they're saying, don't, don't, don't bend down and pick that up and put it into your bundle. Leave that for the poor. That's the part of the gleaning aspect. But now what Boaz is saying is, how about you just pull some out of your bundle and give it to her? And do not rebuke her. So then she brings all this huge bundle of barley and wheat and all these different things and the, and the restover food that Boaz gave her from lunch. And he goes to her mother-in-law and says to her, uh, sorry, the mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's, sorry, the man's name 
with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. He is one of our redeemers. Here's this, this word. So he's, uh, Boaz is, is uh, Ruth's father-in-law's brother. Not even close to any kind of blood relation, but her father-in-law's brother. We don't know how the age, what the age gap is like here, but her former husband's uncle. What is a redeemer, though? The word in Hebrew, goel, redeemer, in the Hebrew Bible and rabbinical tradition is a person who, as the nearest relative of another, is charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging his wrongs. One duty of the goel was to redeem or purchase back a relative who had been sold into slavery. Now, right here, we can just pause and we can just look at Jesus, who everything in our scriptures, everything, every little detail, Leviticus 19 of gleanings and love your neighbor as yourself screams, let's look to Jesus. And we get to Ruth and Boaz, this redeemer from Bethlehem of the tribe of Judah. And we have Jesus, whereas Boaz redeemed Ruth, Jesus redeems all humanity. That no longer is it that just leaves some wheat for the foreigner and the stranger and the exile, which we are called in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. But he brings all people in. And what does he do? He purchases back anyone who would have faith in him and the redeeming, purchasing quality of his blood and forgiveness. Those who had been sold into slavery, that's us, slavery to sin, slavery to death, and slavery to the law. So we have to ask ourselves the question, who is my neighbor? I want to go back now to this image. Again, grasp the text in their town, gauge the width of the river. But now we're going to cross the principalizing bridge, if you will, for lack of clarification or, or, or specificity. What is the moral of the story? But this isn't some moral in the sense of do this and you will live or don't do this and you'll die. That's law. We're free from the law. What's the principle that we can get out of this? We've already consulted the biblical roadmap. Let's see now, again, just kind of this inception aspect of what Jesus does here. We're going to look at Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, 25 to 29, it says this. And behold, a lawyer, someone that knows the law, Old Testament law. Someone who would have been there defending somebody who broke maybe Leviticus 19. Someone was charged. That guy harvested all the wheat in his field. He didn't do it. That's the lawyer. Stood up and put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? You know it all. Let's go. And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So what happens? The lawyer says, he starts quoting some of the 10 commandments and then he skips to Leviticus 19. That's where this verse comes from. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This was a very popular passage. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. Do, do that, do that and you'll live. But he, the lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
What does it mean to be my neighbor? Is it just my left and my right? Is it across the, the path? Is it across the street? Is that my neighbor? Is it catty corner? Does that count? Is it my direct neighborhood? What is neighbor? Is it my city? Is it my state? Is it my country? Is it my skin tone? What does neighbor mean? That's what he's asking. Jesus then goes, I'm not going to read it. I, I don't want to take the time to do that this morning. I'm looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's what Jesus goes into. And he starts talking about this individual who was beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. And a Levite, here comes this, this, this passage again, love your neighbor as yourself. Even people who don't look like me or act like me or talk like me, love your neighbor as yourself. And that Levite who knows the law walks, walks right on past. Passes to the other side of the street, walks past. The priest who knows better, who knows he should have helped, passes by. And you have a Samaritan. A Samaritan who says, you don't look like me. This individual who's beaten and bloody, you don't act like me. You don't worship like me. You don't have a job like me. I could even judge you and say you didn't take the precautions like me because you're the one that got beat on the side of the road and I'm doing all right. That's on you, not me. He could have acted just like the, Le the Levite and the priest as they walked by and said, God, I thank you. I'm not like that guy. But he decides to love and to care and to practice God-fearing love of caring for his neighbor. So we ask the question, who is your neighbor? Who is our neighbor? So as we look at this last and final point here, grasp a text in their town, gauge the width of the river, cross the principalizing bridge, consult the biblical roadmap, and then finally... We get to grasp the text in our town. Only after all of that work do you get to go, okay, what does this mean to me? When I look at Leviticus, when I look at Ruth, when I look at this stained glass image, what does it mean for me to care for my neighbor? One thing, so I want to get practical here. I really do. I want to get as practical as, as I can, as far as Hope Community Church Lower Town, uh, that it's the summer, right? Uh, that I know a lot of people go on vacations. Uh, we just did. We just got back from Chicago. I had a great time. That's Okay. I want you to be able to enjoy yourselves. Uh, Minnesota's summers, there's nothing like it. It's, it's beautiful, although it's not even technically summer yet, is it? I mean, it's, this is, it's been a crazy spring, all right? This last couple of weeks, this is spring, all right? But I want to give a couple of things that we can do as far as our community. One aspect, and again, I would love for you to maybe consider, uh, we have our podcast, Sunday Rewind, and I will give a little caveat that we have not, by we, I have not recorded anything since November, uh, there's been a couple things. Obviously, COVID put a big damper on that. Uh, things were getting a little crazy. Uh, my kids are getting older and therefore louder uh, in my house, and so it's harder to record uh, certain things. Uh, it's not their fault. It's no one's fault. Um, and so we're gonna, I'm going to be continuing this. We're going to start this up again soon. Um, and what we're going to be doing is recording a little bit of the podcast that will be after the sermon, maybe throughout the, in, the, in the middle of the week, saying, what was a point I would have loved to have made Dug in deeper, I just didn't have time to get to, okay? So that way we don't have to sweat it out in here. You can listen to it in your AC, okay? That's one aspect. But on there, when we were doing our uh, racial solidarity in Lower Town, uh, we did six weeks with our elders. Uh, one of them is we spent an entire hour talking about the Good Samaritan. So if you want that to be unpacked a little bit more, I'd love to, love to steer you there. Uh, and, and then the other aspect of that, the, one, the, la the last one that we did that was recorded on there um, was our... Uh, kind of our uh, discipleship toolkit. I couldn't read it, so that's what it was. Discipleship toolkit. So what can we do in our community? What can we do uh, to, to help uh, bridge and help to work out racial solidarity, to help gospel and race? Uh, 
Uh, there's a great, great thing, some really cool things that, that were discussed in that one. I'd love to encourage you to check that out. Another aspect of what we're going to be doing, our budget is changing a little bit this year. Fiscal year ends in just a couple weeks on June 30, and we'll pick up July 1 with a new fiscal year. But coming July 1, what's really cool and I'm excited about is that we are uh, designating 1% of our budget uh, across all of our campuses, uh, which I know 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you have a budget of, of 2.3 million, it ends up, not us, <laughs> a little, we're a little, little piece of the pie. Uh, but that ends up being a, quite a bit of money. Uh, but we're going to give 1% uh, to local gospel and race initiatives, and I'm very thankful for that, um, that our governance team and elders have, have moved in that way. Uh, but Faith City Church, uh, it's our neighborhood. It's not technically our neighborhood, but they're right across uh, the highway up in Dayton's Bluff. Carl Johnson is a friend of mine, um, and he uh, started a local business uh, called Storehouse Grocers, and it's for low-income families to be able to get uh, groceries. It's a food desert in that sense over there, just right across the road. Um, and that was a passion that he had. And so we want to be able to do that one. Another one that we're still, I mean, when I say early stages, I mean early stages. Uh, ben Jones connected me to a woman who's in charge of this interfaith action thing. And we haven't gotten back to them, but there's this um, a practice circle. So we're doing these uh, faith circles or sorry, community healing circles. And that'll hopefully be happening more, and we'll, I'll keep you in, in, uh, in connection with what that is. And you're like, what are you even talking about? I don't even know. Okay, so I'm, but, I, but, it, but that ball's getting moved on the field, and I'm excited about the potential of that. Another aspect is just creator space. Um, they, they, they don't open, the coffee shop doesn't open on Sunday mornings until 9, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, Nelson and I both this morning both looked up. When can we get coffee? But not yet. Um, but you can go down. It's right just, right just one block away. Uh, and so you just right there, it's a beautiful space, uh, really cool hangout areas, and I uh, would love to just spend time there. If you live in the neighborhood, live in the community, get in there, meet some people. The chef's name is Guillermo, super cool guy. Uh, the owner's name is Melissa and Kevin. I uh, would love for you to just get to know some people in the neighborhood and the community. Another aspect, though, of our budget is that we've designated uh, by far the majority of it to community events. Uh, for our church, building community, yes, with us, but doing things for the community uh, in the neighborhood, uh, having different things that are going on, uh, being able to host parties and different things for the neighborhood. I'm really excited about the potential for that this next year. Um, and so thankful for your giving. If it wasn't up to your giving, this, these, it would not be possible. And so I appreciate you uh, doing so. So I have this just in conclusion and gospel application. It's very simple, but I want you to be thinking about it. I want you to be thinking about your own heart as we look at that Cross the principalizing bridge as we look at Jesus who has commanded us to love our neighbor as ourself, as we look at Ruth and Boaz who loved his neighbor as himself, as we look at the law all the way back in Leviticus to love our neighbor as ourself, that we get to look at this application of Jesus is the good Samaritan, right? He is the goodest of all the good Samaritans. He is the good Samaritan and he left not just the corners of the field for, for foreigners, and those in exile, again, that's what we're called in 1 Peter chapter 1. He gave it all. He gave everything. And now we get to love our neighbors ourselves the way Christ has loved us. So that is that stained glass window. Thankful for those who have been before us and Mrs. Burbank and the history surrounded with the gleaners and different things that they did for the community and for the church. And as we look at this, as we look at Ruth and life of Ruth, and how she was able to benefit from these laws that were put in place for the foreigner, as we look at Christ, who commanded us to love our neighbor as ourself, 
Would we be able to bless those around us, bless our community, bless our neighbors, uh, literally right around here? And uh, so I pray that we just uh, be able to do that. Bow your heads in prayer as we uh, get ready to take communion and as we worship again through song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for uh, just the opportunity to be here again in this space. I thank you for the neighborhood that we're in. I uh, thank you that uh, uh, Lower Town is here, that it's been here since the beginning of St. Paul. Thank you that this church has been part of it. And thank you that Hope Community Church is able to be a new part of that history. And I pray that we'd be able to be a heartbeat of this community, that we'd get to know the pulse, that we would get to love and care for our neighbors directly, those who aren't even moved in yet, the building going across the street, that if this church were to leave this neighborhood, that the community would say, oh man, that's a bummer. And right now, God, I don't think that's the case. And so would you help us? Would you allow us to be light in darkness, to be salt to the world? Would you allow us to love our neighbor as ourself, regardless of their position, regardless of even their view of us? Would you help us to love our neighbor as ourself as you have commanded? We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.